All right, all right. How are we doing tonight? Y'all doing good? Hey, can we, uh, can we thank our worship team real quick? Amazing job. So thankful for each of them. Hey, um, so my name is Austin, like Sarah said, and I'm on staff here. I'm one of the pastors. And if you come on Sundays, maybe I've seen you on Sundays. I help with uh, what we call connecting, so helping first-time guests and helping people get connected to the life of our church through groups and all that kind of stuff. Um, but every now and then I get to come hang out with you guys, and it's a lot of fun. So I'm really grateful to be here with you tonight. Who was it that just yelled out, like, I'm really happy to see all of you? Oh, Okay. Well, she's really happy to see everybody. If you guys want to meet her after, yeah? What's her name? Her name's, okay, her name's Kate. She's really happy that all of y'all are here. So um, anyways, I'm really happy as well that you're here and excited for uh, what we're going to be diving into the next few weeks. I thought, um, I've seen people do this before. I thought it may be helpful for you to maybe meet my family. Uh, I do have a family. I've been married for almost nine years and have a few uh, kiddos myself. So I brought a little picture just so you can know that I do belong to people. Um, there they are. We went to the beach. It's impossible to get my three-year-old to take a picture. So um, that was the best that we could do. That's my son, Cade and Kyler and my wife, Susanna. So anyways, that's who I belong to. There's a few people there. I really love them and you would love them too if you knew them. So anyways, that's who they are. Hey, I wanna ask you a question. We're getting really close to Halloween and it's kind of a, I don't know who cheers for Halloween. That was weird, but it, it's kind of a weird uh, season in my opinion. I don't know, you, you may love it. Anybody love like scary stuff? You just say scary movies, I love it. Kate loves it. Um, anybody else? You love, you love scary movies? Anybody love scary movies? Okay, everybody look around. Those are the psychos. You can see who the psychos are in the room. Um, I personally can't stand scary things. Like scary movies, to be honest, the Halloween season altogether just gives me a little bit of the heebie-jeebies, whatever those are. I just, like, it's just a weird time for me. You will not find me in any scary movie. And I'm really happy because in the past few years, I've become just more, like, confident in myself, and I've been able to admit that. For a while, it was like, you're a dude. you got to like scary movies, right? you got to like, I'm like, oh, yeah, this is awesome, man. I'm not scared at all. That's kind of, you have to have that vibe. And I'm really happy in the past few years, I've just become secure with myself to say I hate them, and I'm never going to them. Um, anybody you like like haunted houses? Is that you guys like those things? So, oh man, there's some weird people in this room tonight. I I hate it. Are there haunted houses in Statesboro? Okay, we're gonna rebuke those tonight in the name of Jesus. Um, a few years ago, I have a little story I'll never forget. A few years ago, I was visiting uh, some of my best friends in Knoxville, Tennessee. I drove up there to see them, and it was one night. It was close to uh, Halloween. It was in October, and so they said, hey, tonight we're going to go to a corn maze. I was like, corn maze? Right on, like a fall festival kind of deal. I'm in. Let's, let's go walk around on some corn. Who doesn't like that, right? Said, let's go do that. So we go that night to this corn maze, and pretty, pretty quickly I start to realize it's kind of a weird place because we're standing in line to go to the corn maze and there's a giant screen out there and they were playing one of the Saul movies. Have you guys seen one of like the Saul? How many movies are there? There's like four or five Saul movies. I've never seen one, but they were playing it right at the entrance of the corn maze. And so I start going, this is kind of, that's a weird thing to play, like a family fall festival, like some guy's chainsawing another dude's head off. That's weird. Um, and then I, I quickly like heard a conversation with these like fifth grade girls or middle school girls in front of me. One of, one of them was like, oh my gosh, I'm so scared. That's my fifth grade girl voice. 
And I was like, that's, what is she scared about? And so I said, I told my friends, I said, guys, what did you guys bring me to? And they said, well, it's a haunted corn maze. Oh, they said, it's a what? It's a haunted corn maze? Is that a thing? What do they do in haunted corn mazes? But then I'm trying to act tough too. This is before I was securing myself. So I'm like, oh yeah, totally. Haunted corn maze, cool. Let's do it, you know? And uh, we, we get into this thing. We start walking through it. You guys ever been to something like this? They jump out at you and scary things you can barely see. They've got like the fake chainsaws and they're revving them up and they're doing all these weird things. It was a nightmare. It was a nightmare for me. I hated it. My anxiety just went through the roof immediately, but I'm trying to act tough. At one point, I started figuring out that they only jump out the people in the front of the line. So I started going, I'm going to head to the back. I'm like, guys, I'm going to head back there, make sure those fifth grade girls are okay, and just hold up the end of the line, make sure no one gets lost. They're like, yeah, sure, whatever. And then we get to the end. This is the best part. We get to the end, and these people gather us there. They go, okay, you can either be done, or we have like an extra level haunted corn maze. And in this haunted corn maze part, everyone gets blindfolded. And then you grab a rope and we just lead you through it like we're dang kindergartens or something. And they said, and you're, you're blindfolded the whole time. I'm like, oh, heck no, nah, dude, we are not doing this. My buddies are like, oh yeah, sure, we'll do that. <laughs> Come on. So we go through this thing and it was the worst night of my life. I haven't talked to those friends since then, actually. Um, just kidding, I have. But it was an absolute nightmare. So if anybody invites you to a haunted corn maze, don't go. Don't go. But the whole time, the only way I can get through that experience or even a scary movie or anything, I just repeat this phrase over and over again in my head. It's just, I just go, this isn't real. This isn't real. This isn't real. This is fake evil. This is not real evil. This is fake evil. It's not real. I just say that over and over and over again in my head. It's the only way I can get through it, right? And I don't, I don't exactly know what it was like to live in the, this is a hard turn, by the way, but go with me. I don't know what it was like to live in like the 80s or the 60s or even before then. Um, but I think because of the digital world that we live in probably has something to do with it. You can get an alert on your phone right now that tells you about something catastrophic that happened in Tokyo, right? Or something that's happening across the country immediately. We're all clued in. And I think that's part of why it seems like now more than ever, there, there is like real evil in the world, not fake evil, like real evil. You know what I'm talking about? And I, and I think part of it is we are just more aware of it now than ever, but there is real actual evil. There are people who walk into concerts, who walk into schools with weapons and with actual intent to take the life of other people. That's evil. There are people in power who abuse their power and take advantage of others. There are parents and grandparents who manipulate and abuse children even before they are even old enough to understand what's going on. And the list could go on and on. In fact, I'm probably for certain that you have examples of how you have seen evil in your life. There is real, actual evil. And I think we can all agree, those things I just listed, that's real evil, right? And yet here's what's really, really fascinating to me is that for you and I to come to a conclusion that these actions that I listed and maybe the ones that you would say as well, for us to come to a conclusion that that is evil, we must first also come to a belief that there is actual right and there is actual wrong. That there is good and there is evil. That there is truth and there is lie. 
that there is truth about what is the right way to live, truth about the respect and dignity that each person is deserving of. And yet what is really fascinating is that we're living in a moment where the concept of truth is being left up for everyone else to decide for themselves what it is. So somehow we live in a world that wants to be able to declare when something is evil, but also wants to be able to say that truth is relative and up for each person to decide what is right and what is wrong. How do those two things coexist together? And it's right there in that moment that I actually believe the teachings of Jesus are even more compelling. And I'm not sure how you're showing up to the teachings of Jesus tonight. Maybe you've been around them um, for a while. Maybe he's kind of a new guy for you and you're trying to figure out who he is and what he's teaching and all that. I'm not sure how you're coming to him, but he has some really interesting things to say about truth and lies. And so if you were here last week, you heard Connor kind of lead us into what we're going to be talking about for the next few weeks, which is a term that we call spiritual warfare. Um, and to be honest with you, if you're confused about what that means, that term spiritual warfare is actually nowhere in the Bible. You'll never find that term in scripture. But what it actually is, is it's just a term that kind of Christians use to encapsulate the spiritual war that we are in. It's this belief that we are in a war and it's taking place in the kind of spiritual realm. And that's what we mean. So when we say, what is, or when we ask, you know, what is spiritual warfare? What do we actually mean by that? And I want to help kind of uh, answer that question for you tonight. And I think a good place for us to start is to recognize that in order for us to have warfare, we have to have an enemy. And who is this enemy? And so I want to read first in John chapter 8. If you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 8. We're going to read a little bit um, starting in verse 31. And this is uh, primarily Jesus talking here. And he gives us kind of an inside view into who he believes this enemy to be. And I don't know about you, but I think I would trust what Jesus teaches on who the enemy is. So let's read that together. If uh, you got your Bibles, great. If not, um, I think there's a giant one on the screen that you can look at. Verse 31 says, To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. We'll come back to that later. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? We're not a slave. Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now, a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, yet you are looking for a way to kill me because you have no room for my word. I am telling you what I've seen in the father's presence, and you are doing what you have heard from your father. They replied, Abraham is our father, they answered. Jesus says, if you were Abraham's children, then you would do what Abraham did. As it is, you are looking for a way to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not do such things. You are doing the works of your own father, is what Jesus says to him. And they responded with this, which this is really interesting to me. They say, we are not illegitimate children. They protested. Now, just a little side note there. That is a, a hard dig, okay? They make a hard dig there at Jesus. Because remember, who, is, who are Jesus' parents? 
Mary and Joseph, right? And Mary conceived Jesus out of wedlock because the Spirit caused Jesus to be in her womb. And so part of that meant that no, you know, no one believed that, so they all thought that Mary got pregnant out of wedlock, and so that would make Jesus an illegitimate child. And so they said, we are not illegitimate children. That's a hard dig. Tough look, making digs at Jesus, but go for it. They said, the only father we have is God himself. And Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me, for I have come here from God. I have not come on my own. God sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. Now, I want you to dial in here on these last few verses. He says, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? I am telling the truth. Why don't you believe me? Whoever belongs to God hears what God says. And the reason you do not hear is because that you do not belong to God. So I just want to make a couple observations here about what Jesus believes about our enemy, the devil. Okay, maybe a weird concept for us to talk about tonight, the devil. Maybe that's not what you were hoping to hear, but I think it's going to play a part in setting up the next few weeks for us and hopefully to be helpful for you. So number one is this. You need to know this. For Jesus, the devil is real. Just basic, starting from there. For Jesus, the devil is real. Devil comes from the Greek word diabolos. Can you say that to your neighbor? Diabolos. Good try. It means slanderer or the accuser. And it is one of many names for this creature that we read about all throughout the narrative of Scripture. He has many names, including the evil one, the tempter, the Satan, the deceiver. And we meet this creature on the very first few pages of the Bible when he shows up to a married couple named Adam and Eve. You may have heard of them. Throughout the Bible, Jesus calls him three times. He calls the devil the ruler of this world. Let that sink in. He is not a myth. He is not a figment of the imagination, and he is most definitely not a red cartoon character with a pitchfork. He is, to Jesus, the evil behind so much in our society and in our souls. And in this story particular that we read, he is the evil behind the religious leaders of the day. And Jesus ties this story to a prophecy in Genesis chapter 3 about the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. And he claims that the religious leaders of the day here are the seed of the serpent, the devil. That's a harsh reality. And that's a hard thing for here, to hear for these guys. Number two, for Jesus, the devil's end goal is to murder. It is to murder. It is completely wipe out life. There is no like easy play for the devil. He's not kind of, he doesn't kind of like you, kind of hate you. He doesn't take it easy on you. His end goal is to completely destroy you. That is it. In fact, Jesus says in John chapter 10, just a few chapters later, that he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I love what C.S. Lewis says. He says that there is no neutral ground in the universe. Every square inch, every split second is claimed by either God or counterclaimed by Satan. He is very real 
and he comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. Number three, and this is kind of where I want to camp for the rest of the night. For Jesus, the devil's primary strategy is lies. He is the father of lies. He can't do anything but lie because he is the very origin point of deception itself. When he lies, he speaks his native language is what Jesus says. Now, that's not typically how we think about fighting the devil. I don't know about you, but that's not how I grew up thinking about it. I think there's kind of two sides of things. You, you kind of view the devil or fighting the devil in maybe like a hyper ultra spiritualized kind of way. We call this Christian paranoia where he's just everywhere. Everything that happens is because he's causing it to happen. You know, I remember a guy came into church one time and he was all upset and he said, man, I got a flat tire on the way to church. I think the devil's just out to get me and keep me from church. I was like, well, how'd you get a flat tire? He's like, well, I was on a dirt road and I ran over a nail. That's kind of a normal thing. I mean, that happens to a lot of people. Maybe, maybe you just ran over a nail. Do we have to you know, attribute this to the devil? And it, so it's kind of that like hyper, we over-spiritualize everything. There's that kind of view of spiritual warfare and our fight against the devil. But then there's also this kind of view where the only way the devil is active in your life and my life is in this weird, creepy kind of exorcism where he shows up in dreams and possesses people. So we either go to this over-spiritualized or we put him in this small category where he's only active like that. And yet for Jesus, he tells us that the devil's primary strategy is not to do weird stuff like that. I mean, I mean that can happen and that stuff is real. But in Jesus' most in-depth teaching on the devil and who he is, he doesn't say any of that. He doesn't say watch out for the heavy darkness or watch out for the possession or watch out for any. He doesn't say any of that. What he does say in this intellectual debate with the thought leaders of the days, he says it comes through lies. See, it comes here. That is the primary fight against the devil. I think we're going to put that on the screen. The primary fight against him is to believe truth over lies. That is the primary fight that you and I have. And this is why we're going to talk about spiritual warfare, but at the core of spiritual warfare is understanding the truth about lies. So I want to kind of take a little bit of a tangent here, and I hope I don't lose some of you, but I think it's really important for us to understand our battle with truth and lies and that kind of thing. Do I have anybody in the room that's a philosophy major? Maybe you've studied a little bit of philosophy. Okay. I haven't either, Um, but I I do think it's really interesting. I've kind of grown interest in how philosophy relates to our walk with Jesus and those two things, how they can go together. And so I study a little bit about it. And um, the main primary question, if you get into like philosophical debates, one of the main questions that's been around for centuries now is what? What is truth? What is truth? And For me, I think the best definition that I have found for truth is simply this, that truth is reality. Truth is that which corresponds to reality. And reality is what you run into when you're wrong. If I were to ask one of you guys up here to come up here and just uh, flat foot stand, two feet, jump onto this stage. Some of you look athletic, but you can't do it, right? 
Reality, he's like, yeah, try me. Reality is what's going to happen when you bang your shin on the front of this stage and it's nasty, right? That is reality. The truth is you can't do it. That's the truth. If I were to tell you tonight, I really believe that I could fly. Reality is going to hit me when I'm smack on the ground, right? Because the truth is I can't fly. See, reality and truth go together. When we say that is a lie, if someone says something to you and you say that is a lie, what you're saying is that that statement or that claim does not correspond to reality. See, truth is reality. Lies are unreality. And we all live, and, and are you still tracking with me? Are we good? We all live, I wanna take it a little bit further. We all live by what psychologists call mental maps. We have mental maps and it's literally the maps such as like the route to work or to school. So I wanna do a little activity with us tonight. Don't freak out, but everybody close your eyes. Everybody close your eyes. Hope you like who you're sitting next to. All right, and in kind of your, the front of your mind's eye, I want you to think about the route that you would take to drive from here to where you're gonna be staying tonight. I want you to think about where your car is at. You're walking to your car. You get to the end of the parking lot of the church. You're going to take a right. Some of you are trying to remember. You're not good with directions. But then after you take a right, you're going to go left. And then you get to that stoplight. And then you go right. You're kind of figuring it all out, right? You got it in your mind? Okay, open your eyes. Now, if the route that you were taking in your mind, if it is true, if it is true, then you'll end up at your destination where you wanted to go, right? If it is untrue, if it's lies, then you end up lost, right? You end up not where you were wanting to go. And in the same way, we have mental maps for all of life. You have a vision. You have a, a mental map in your mind of how life works, of how it operates. You have a mental map of how money works in your life of how you should spend it, of how you should save it, of how much you need or what it'll take for you to live the life that you want to live. You have a map in your mind of what that will take. You have mental maps for your relational interactions, for what it means to be kind to people, for what it means to love someone or maybe the boundaries around when do you not love someone? Is that a thing? When does someone not deserve my love? See, you have a mental map. And all of these things have been formed by your family, by your upbringing, by the community that you surround yourself with, by what you have been believing in your mind. You have a mental map for sexuality, for how it plays a role in your life, for power, for love, for romance, for marriage, for parenting, for what life is all about and what will lead you to ultimate satisfaction. And mental maps are no more than collection of ideas that you have gotten over the years put together. Now, rant over, we'll move on. Every day you hear a new idea or a new approach to money, to sex, to identity, to God, to the meaning of life. And the question is, are your ideas, are your approaches, the things that you're hearing, the things that you're believing, are they based on truth or are they based on lies? And here's why it's important. Write this down. Ideas we believe in our mind give shape to who we become 
and then determine how we behave. Believe, become, behave. When we believe truth, as Jesus says is truth, we show up to reality well. We live in a way that is aligned with our creator's intentions for his creation. And as a result, we get the abundant life. But on the contrary, when we believe lies, we allow these lies to shape who we become and how we behave. And when that happens, we open our whole person to poison. You see, if the devil can get into your mind, he can get into your heart. And if he can get into your heart, he can get into your actions. And believing truth leads to life. Believing lies leads to death. His strategy is lies. So let's talk a little bit more about how that strategy gets played out. The nature of his strategy. I hope this is helpful to you. It was helpful to me. I, I, I actually read this. There's a book called Live No Lies by a guy named John Mark Homer who talks all about this specific thing. And he says this, the nature of his strategy is this, deceitful ideas. They are deceitful ideas that play to our disordered desires for happiness that are normalized in a sinful society. This is the strategy of your enemy, the devil. This is how he's coming after you. Deceitful ideas, lies, that play to your already disordered desires for happiness. This already sinful nature that you have in you that produces desires. And the goal as a Christian that you and I is that we would be so surrendered to the spirit and that our desires would start to morph into his desires, right? But you and I have a sin nature that we fight. We have these disordered desires, and so you combine his deceitful ideas with disordered desires for hap happiness, and then they are normalized by a sinful society, and that is a dangerous cocktail to drink. And it's not just deceitful ideas that have no emotional value. He uses our already disordered desires, the primal desires within us that lead us astray from what is good and beautiful and true. And it's our disordered desires for happiness, right? It's happiness. It's not, it's not even like no, nobody wakes up in the morning and sins out of duty. You don't wake up and be like, ah, I can't wait. going to really go and, and sin a lot today, right? No one sins out of duty. We sin because we believe a lie about what will ultimately make us happy. And then those sinful desires are normalized in a sinful society. See, his aim is not just to tempt you with lies, it is to inject them into society. Because if he can get a lie that he is trying to get you to believe normalized in society, then you're more likely to believe it as truth because, catch this, because everyone else is doing it. It's normalized. So you're more likely now to believe that it's true. So he, he injects them into entertainment, education, government, technology, the church, and it becomes normalized. So play it out with me. We'll, we'll just think about a few that we've talked about already. Think about money. Maybe somewhere along the way you have gotten a deceptive idea or a lie from a parent or a friend or, or someone you've watched on YouTube that money is what will ultimately make you happy. And then you pair that idea with a disordered desire in your heart that looks to things, to stuff, to bring you security and satisfaction. 
that really only God can bring, but then you attach those two things to the all-out attack of media and marketing agencies to make you think that what you need is really just something else. You really just need that new thing to make you happy. You see how all three of those go together? And yet the truth, the truth, what Jesus says, I'm reminded of Luke chapter 12 where he says this, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed for life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. That is truth. But that's hard to believe, isn't it? When you combine a deceptive idea, a disordered desire that's in you, and then you combine a sinful society, it's hard to believe the truth. Take another example. Take sex. The deceptive idea that we're all just animals, gender, sexuality, marriage is just a social construct from the patriarchy in order to oppress us and limit us and limit our freedom. Sex is just biological. It's just play for grown-ups. No big deal. And then you pair that with a disordered desire of your heart, which is to lust after someone. And then that gets normalized into a sinful society. And all of a sudden, it just becomes just the thing. And it all started with a lie, a deceptive idea. And this is the danger. The primal temptation for you and me is to define for ourselves what is good and evil based on the voice in the back of our head and our disorder desires rather than on God and his vision for good and evil and what it means to be human. So the root of all sin before anything else, you have to hear this, the root of all sin before anything else is answering the question, is about answering the question, what do you believe to be true? And maybe even a better question is, where do you get that from? And this is why, this is why, this is so compelling to me. This is why Jesus came as a teacher. He came as divine and he came as your savior who would rescue you from sin, but he also came as a rabbi, as a teacher for what it looks like to follow him. And as he taught, he taught truth, the way to life and life to the fullest. So I wanna read one more scripture. And as I do, I think Rachel's gonna come up because we're gonna sing a song at the end to kind of close this out. I wanna turn to John chapter 18. John chapter 18, verse 36. This is Jesus as he stands before Pilate just moments before his crucifixion. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born, listen closely. The reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. There it is. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. You see, Jesus came to establish truth, the reference point for reality. He says that you will know the truth, him, and the truth will set you free. Jesus actually says this. He says, I am the truth. 
I am the way and the life. See, this battle between truth and lies is not about a philosophical ideas and concepts. It's about what leads to life and what leads to death and destruction. See, alongside Jesus, you and I are at a war. And this war is against the devil. And it is by lies that we are enslaved and by truth that we are set free. And so... I think the question that I wanted to leave you guys with tonight that you would ponder tonight and hopefully on from tonight is a pretty simple question. I mean, setting up in a conversation about truth and all that, that can get complex and it can get kind of thick. But the question is pretty simple. Is where have you bought in to one of the devil's deceptive ideas? Where have you bought into a lie? Let me give you a few of them. You're a disappointment to God. If you suppress the pain, it'll go away. You need to perform in order to be valued. You know, God would actually love a more disciplined version of you. You are all alone in this world. One more visit to that webpage won't hurt you. If you expose your sin, they won't love you anymore. You see, the devil desires to get these lies in a constant rotation in your mind where you just play them back. And what they do is they enslave you. And the problem is not just that lies are spoken, it's that we believe them and then we embody them. You see, I am a disappointment to God turns into an attempt to avoid him. If he's disappointed with me and we're not on good terms, then maybe I should just stay away from him. I'm all alone in this world turns into isolation from community. No one understands me. No one gets me. I'm just, I'm in this by myself. Because of my sin, I am unlovable turns into hiding and keeping secrets turns into a double life for you. I need to ignore the pain, the hurt, the bad habit. Turns into emotional, mental, spiritual, unhealth, and bondage. You see, they're not just lies that you believe. They're ultimately become who you become, and it affects how you behave, and you are enslaved to lies. It is by lies that you are enslaved, but it is by truth that you are set free. So the invitation, it's not just theoretical, it is really practical. The invitation is that you come to Jesus and he sets you free, not just because he knows truth and he teaches truth, but he is truth. So he welcomes you and he says, stop, stop believing the lie. You're letting this mess run you over. Come and know truth and let the truth set you free. And these are not just theoretical lies, those that I listed, those are personal. Every single one that I just listed is from my own life. I've had to wrestle each of those down 
And by the grace of God, the truth set me free. But here's the reality. We're all believing lies. I, I, I had a fight against a lie before I got up here saying, Austin, you shouldn't be up there. You're not really that good of a teacher. What, what do you have to offer them? That was a lie that I had to go to battle with. See, this isn't, you don't get over fighting lies. It's a daily battle. So, young man, you owe it to yourself to ask the question, am I living by truth or by lies? Is it really true that college is a time for you to kind of sow your wild oats and then come back to Jesus later? Is that true? Is it true that your value is ultimately determined by how much money you can make? Really? That's true? Young lady, is it true that you're only as valuable as a guy tells you you are? Is it true that the number of likes on your pictures must be indication of how pretty you are and therefore your self-worth? Really? Are you believing that? Are you living into that, believing that it is true? What is true? And that's where the invitation is to come to Jesus, where truth is and where truth belongs in the person of Jesus. And so what I wanted to just spend some time with, and I know you guys got things to do and we, we want to get out of here, but I really just felt like God wanted to stir something in some people tonight. Because some of you are so enslaved by a lie that you're believing. For some of you already, you're like, I know what it is. I've been fighting that same lie for years. For some of you, it's really, really deep. And you actually have to do a little bit of digging and a little bit of work to understand, man, the reason why I am the way that I am and I'm acting the way I'm acting and I'm behaving, the reason why I'm doing all that is actually because I believed a lie that my dad told me when I was seven years old and this just began to kind of play itself out over the course of my life. For some of you, it's that deep. And so the prayer that I wrote down tonight that I would just invite each of you to pray tonight and tomorrow and the next day is simply this, Father. <laughs> I love starting there. He's a good, he's relational. He's a relational God. Father, would you show me where I'm believing a lie? and set me free with your truth. Would you show me where I'm believing a lie and set me free with your truth? And so that's what I wanna invite us to do now, if you're okay with that. It's just to have a moment of prayer. For you right there where you're at, Rachel's gonna sing a song over us, the one we sang earlier, that I think is beautifully paired with what we're talking about. Hallelujah, you've saved me. It's so much better your way, your truth. It's so much better. But I want to invite you just right where you're at to do some business with God. Maybe in your chair, maybe if you want to come sit somewhere else, maybe you need to go off in a back corner and pray. This room is completely open. Maybe you need to ask the person next to you to pray with you. Maybe you need to get with somebody and say, hey, I just need to talk to you about something. I need to tell you the lie that I've been believing because it's got me in bondage. But maybe just for the next few minutes as Rachel sings and plays over us, you just need to do some business. And I would encourage you to start here. Father, 
show me what lies I'm believing. Show me what lies I'm believing and set me free with your truth. Would you bow your head? Let me pray for you. Jesus, it is your truth that sets us free. Father, I pray for the person in the room who has felt like their life is falling apart, like they are under the weight of something and they cannot figure out what it is. Father, I pray that you'd reveal to them tonight the lie that they've been believing. The lie that someone told them last week, the lie that someone messaged them online, the lie that someone told them when they were just a kid, the lie that is underneath so much of the anxiety, of the pain, of the hurt, of the behavior, of the addiction, the lie that is underneath it all, Father, I pray that you would bring it to the surface even now, even now. And Father, I pray that you would not just bring it to the surface, but that you would set them free from it, that you would give them your truth, that you'd remind them of who they are, of who you say that they are, truth.